Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning. It's really good to see you guys. And uh, what a lovely day today. So uh, this is... Um, the second uh, of two Sundays in terms of uh, having a talk focused uh, on on giving, and I have chosen the headline, Joyful Generosity. Uh, some of you may remember that uh, a couple of months ago, I did a small series on um, It's Time for Faith. And of course, if you ask me now, uh, Lars, what do you think it's time for? I probably would say some of the same. I think it's time for faith still. Uh, it's, it feels like it's leaning in that direction. And then if you ask me a bit further, I would probably go in the direction of joy. Uh, so it's been on my mind for a while. And if I was to do a standalone talk today, it would be on joy. It's such a strong theme throughout uh, the Bible. And sometimes... It feels like we miss out on something so important as having joy in our lives. So that is a major point of the talk today. God is definitely a God of joy. Uh, we see that everywhere in the Bible. Just have a walk in his creation and it becomes quite evident how much joy there is in creation. Yesterday, I was in Richmond Park, uh, enjoying the beautiful, beautiful views and just the nature, and also just was reminded of how much spring seems to be a manifestation of the Creator's joy. The birds sing like crazy, and um, everything is just amazing. The dogs act a bit crazy, too. Actually, I was just about being taken down by a small dog. It was just running towards me like that. So, um, and the humans sometimes even act a bit funny in, in the springtime, don't they? So, it, it's just, you see it everywhere around you. And it's very, very evident when we go throughout the Scripture that God wanted for His people to experience joy and to live in joy. Just in the Old Testament, we read that He instituted no less than seven really big parties as part of their uh, year, their annual celebrations. In the book of Psalms, it's written prophetically about Jesus that God has set him above his companions by anointing him with the oil of joy. That's interesting, isn't it? He has set him about his companions, uh, in this case, not by enormous powers or super talents, or, but by joy. The Apostle Paul, in his theological masterpiece, The Letter to the Romans, sums it up by writing that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of, if we take everything that we know about the whole doctrine and sums it down to just three words, joy is one of those words. And if you think about it, we focus a lot of, on the other words, but sometimes, I guess, we can miss out a little bit 
on the joy bit. I think sometimes we we may be caught up in a sense of is joy even allowed? In this world that we are living in with so much going on, are we even allowed to be joyful? Sometimes we end up, at least I do, in a kind of a little bit of dualistic thinking. If I can feel like this, I can't feel like that. The, the reality is we can actually have joy in the midst of a lot of other things going on in our lives. And I just want us to see that today and rejoice in that. So you can go through some very serious stuff in your life. You can have things going on that you are really mourning over. And in the midst of that, you and I, we can still have joy. And it's quite important to have that. So I will draw our attention to three major principles, at least I think so, in terms of joyful generosity. The first one is the principle of trust, which we also might call the spirit of generosity. The second one is the principle of obedience, which we also might call the discipline of generosity. And the third one is the principle of sowing, which we might call the joy of generosity, because when we sow, we are also going to reap, and we reap with joy. So I have good news. I have joyful news. Not only is the weather great today, there's also coffee after the service. So something to look forward to. So a question for the coffee table today. Where does this whole concept of giving really begin? Hmm. Well, to no surprise, it begins with God. With Him giving everything to us. The message is quite clear. He made everything. He created everything. Then he created us as the crown of his creation. And then he gave everything to us. For us to enjoy and for us to steward. So what does that mean? Well, it means that giving doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with us. It starts with the acknowledgement that God has given everything to us. And it means that this whole giving and generosity thing is deeply rooted in our DNA. If we come from God, if we are created in His image, we are basically created for generosity. Now, this is not a big surprise, is it? Just to think about it, how we respond to stories of generosity. Just a few days ago, we were in touch with some of our friends in Norway, and they told us that they had taken in a Ukrainian refugee, a woman and her child. And afterwards, when we were sitting, Meta and I, talking about that, there was just joy in the home, joy over their generosity. So I'm sure this Ukrainian woman and the daughter, they will experience joy by this family. It's an amazing family, an amazing couple. They experience joy by giving. We experience joy just by hearing the story. I read another story this week about Deborah James. I think you would know of her. She's been very much in the media over these last couple of weeks. And I was really encapsulated by her story. With incurable cancer and yet with an incredible spirit of generosity. Sharing her life, sharing her story with the whole nation. 
and making sure that a lot of money is being granted towards uh, research. I think most of us would feel like that when we hear stories of generosity. Why? Because we identify with it. It speaks to something which is already in our cells. And this is something which is supported by research. Um, so as you know, I'm sure there is a whole research branch looking into what is it really that makes us happy as human beings. And both from neuroscience and qualitative-based research, we know that it's a common factor for human beings that generosity releases a sense of satisfaction and joy. So no surprise that this is how we feel. So it comes from God, it's ignited and nurtured in our relationship with God. So it's in us, but often it needs to be ignited by something, and it's ignited by a trusting relationship. So this is really the principle of trust coming into play. So we kind of, when we look at it in the scripture and look at, so where do we see the first kind of case of someone giving to the kingdom of God, if you would put it like this? Well, that is the story of Abraham. So we read it in uh, Genesis chapter 14, and it goes like this. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedalaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, when we dig into this story, we can see it's a story which is all about trust. So Abraham was on this rescue mission to uh, save his nephew, who along with many others had been taken captive by the arms of no less than five kings. So it was a big battle that had been going on. And then against all odds, Abraham, with a relatively small number of people, wins the battle and he brings home both the nephew and the people and everything that had been stolen by this vast army. Now, this was an amazing moment in Abraham's life. At this particular point in his story, he could have secured himself for life. It was an amazing sum of money, if you will have it, that was just in front of him. But he chose to act differently, even though everyone in that day and age would expect him just to take the whole thing and enjoy it. He did quite the contrary, actually. First, out of joy over the victory that he accredited to God, he gave the 10% to Melchizedek, which was a representative of God in this story. And then he gave his men what, what lawfully was their part of the share, but then he gave the rest of it back to the original owners. Later on in Genesis, we read about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who following in his granddad's footsteps, promises to give 10% of his wealth to God as well. All of this happened before there's anything like the law coming into play in the Old Testament. So what is this about? Nobody forced them. Nobody said, you have to do this. It wasn't written anywhere. 
But they did it anyways. From all we can read, we see that this is a declaration of trust in God. They simply celebrated who he was. So it came out of the trust in God's nature and ability to provide for them. So it's this sense of, God, I trust that you are my provider. Therefore, I gladly give. God, I rejoice in you being my provider. Therefore, I joyfully give. That's the spirit of those story. This is actually where it begins. This is the foundation. And then again, there is a second principle that we find uh, in the Bible, which is the principle of obedience, or which we also might call the discipline of generosity. So here's question number two for the coffee table today, just to kind of keep you active here. What is the organizing principle behind the concept of obedience? Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm never going to have coffee with that guy <laughs> if he's asking that kind of questions. I couldn't find a better way of asking it, so I'm really sorry. But really, what is behind this obedience thing? Well, here's my theory. It is the acknowledgement that I am outranked. That this person, whoever that is, simply is further down the road than I am. More skilled, more experienced, has a stronger character, possess greater authority, and so on and so on. And this is really not about position, because I think we all know that position, position doesn't necessarily produce real obedience in our lives. Just to think back to your childhood days, to the classroom, maybe it's different over here, I don't know. But in Denmark, definitely, the position of teacher doesn't necessarily give you authority in the room, particularly if you were a substitute teacher. Poor souls. <laughs> Definitely, they were in trouble when they entered our classroom. And we know from workplaces, we may have a boss who has the position, but doesn't necessarily produce obedience in our lives. So what is it in this case when we talk about giving to the kingdom of God? Well, it's the acknowledgement that God is God. He is the creator. He isn't further down the road. He made the road. Uh, he hasn't outranked me. He is beyond any kind of ranking. He knows everything. He is always, he is everywhere, and he has always been. And most importantly, he loves us. So when God tries to lead us towards obedience because he knows it's a blessing in our lives, then he rarely does it by pointing to how great and big he is. Usually he does it by pointing to how much he loves us. He loved us first, he loves us more, and he loves us forever. And then comes the response, obedience driven by love and awe of the God who loves me like that. And obedience driven by the acknowledgement, it all belongs to him. Now, this can be a challenging area in our time, this whole authority obedience business. Why? Because there is a lot of suspicion around when it comes to authority, right? And rightfully so. So many things has gone wrong historically. So many things are going wrong now, just Think about 
the scandals going on in our and the gates, uh, party gate and other gates going on in our society today. Today, of course, there's a reason why we suspect that something is wrong on the authority levels, and we actually need to. But let's not forget that obedience can also be a beautiful thing. Because obedience is wonderful when it happens in a healthy relationship. It's the opposite of being on my own. It's the joy of being little and that there's someone greater than me. It's a peace in knowing that someone who loves me has the overview, the knowledge, the provision, and that I can obey him even when I don't understand everything about him and what he does and what he says. So that's the second principle of joyfully giving is the discipline of generosity. The final and third principle is the principle of sowing. And Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound, abound in every good work. There's so much joy in these few sentences, if you think about it. It's not a heavy burden be put on people. It's actually to be lifted up by principles of joy. I remember once when I was tested severely in this area where God strongly encouraged me to sow into the life of, some, life of someone else. So um, at this point, Meta and I, we had three children ourselves. We had school, school fees, fees, we had a mortgage, and all the rest of it, you know, you know how it is. And for years, we had just managed to get, you know, to get by. Every month, by the end of the mon month, it was just one big zero. But now at this particular time, we had finally managed to get some savings on the account. And I was a happy guy. I was a happy man. Then I sat in a meeting with a colleague of mine. And uh, to be honest, he and I, we didn't click. We, we, just, we just didn't. He annoyed me and I annoyed him. So we... You know, we had to be careful when we were in each other's company. So I know none of you would ever have that problem with anyone, but that's just the frailty of my life. So I was sitting there, and then, then he started to talk about how challenged they were by their situation. They had just bought a house. He had three small children. And he said, we actually can't make ends meet. We may have to sell the house, and we're going to lose if we do that. And I was just listening with great empathy and didn't think more about it until suddenly something happened in here. I, I graphically saw the amount on my bank account, <laughs> the saving, and then, then this feeling, this sense came, you need to give that money to that guy. Give the money to the guy you don't like, basically. <laughs> and I was like, 
no. <laughs> I, I had all the arguments why this was a really, really bad idea. But the thought just grew stronger and stronger. Then I came home to Meta, and she didn't help at all. She just said, sure, give it. <laughs> I had hoped for that final thing to just prevent this thing from happening. So we wrote an anonymous check with the full amount, and we sent it away to this colleague of mine. And then next week, he came in with a big smile <laughs> in the meeting, and he told us this amazing story about how they had received an anonymous check on the exact amount that they were needing. And he hadn't told me about that amount the week before. So I was like, all right, God, so this is you. <laughs> um, now, he doesn't know that we gave this. He will never know this. But I have followed the family ever since that time. Two years after this incident, he was called to lead a church in a different region of Denmark. Uh, and when he sold the house, the value of the house had increased by 100%. So he went away with a fortune. And it has blessed the family ever since. Now, what is that? Well, I believe it's a principle of sowing and reaping. God helped us to sow into their lives. So what did we reap? Well, we didn't reap money. But there was still a wonderful harvest that we experienced. It was a harvest of watching this family, how they were blessed and how they kept being blessed. And to be honest, that is worth 10 times at least more than whatever that money could have bought us at that time. Does that make sense? Story of sowing and of reaping. And just to add a bit further to this, uh, also in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul writes like this from uh, verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's such a strange sentence. And then he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, even stranger, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's such an amazing text. There's joy all over it. There's faith all over it. And there's a lot of challenge going on in this text. Severe trial. We don't really know what it is, but most would believe that they were persecuted because of their Christian faith. So people were simply going for them. Extreme poverty. Well, it means it wasn't only poverty. It was extreme poverty. Really difficult circumstances of life. They were lacking basically everything. But then there's also an overflowing joy. Is that even possible? Can you have severe poverty? Can you be persecuted badly and then have abundant joy, overflowing with joy? Well, I've seen it. <laughs> I've been traveling. Uh, in my younger days, I was traveling in East Africa. 
And I met people who had situations like this. And I remember how I felt as a very young man. I said, I don't envy their circumstances of life, but I envy their joy. I had never, growing up in one of the richest countries in the world, and one of the happiest countries in the world, at least, uh, Denmark is often either first or second on the list of the most happy people in, on the planet. I envied them the joy that I saw on their faces. It's a joy which is beyond what you can explain. It's not the kind of joy I'm happy because the sun is shining today. I'm happy because there's coffee after the service. So I'm happy because, well, the kids weren't too bad yesterday. <laughs> Whatever kind of reason we can find for, for happiness, it's simply beyond that kind of thing. It comes from a life of trust and a life of faith. So I had an experience with that years ago that I want to share with you, and this is in the closing of this uh, talk. Where we kind of, it was a live experience for Meta and I, we saw something similar happening just in front of our eyes. So, um, and some of you have heard part of this story, I believe. So we were planting a church 50 kilometers south of Copenhagen, and a year in, some of the new members of this church plant, they came knocking on our doors and were really excited. And then they showed us this ad from the local newspaper, which said that uh, a whole manor was uh, for rent. And uh, these were really new to faith, so they thought everything was possible. Uh, you know, so they weren't experienced yet. And, and I kind of, what do I do now? So I just put on the right face, you know, the face of faith. And, and uh, on the inside, I was like, you know, this is hopeless. That's not going to happen. But I was like, well, I need to kind of be careful now. So, so well, let's go and, and see the place. So we went with them uh, and, and we saw the place. And in the moment I stepped out of the car, I kid you not, in the moment my feet touched the ground, immediately I knew this is God. I mean, it was totally beyond logic. There was no logic in it. It was a really big manor with big ground surrounding it. And there was 25 of us, and we were young, and we were poor. We had absolutely nothing. So, it was impossible. I mean... We didn't even have kids for the school. We had five children in the school age. We had no teachers among us. We lacked everything. And it took seven, you know, permissions from the council even to get close to starting a school. And any of you who are in kind of civil servants here, you know, that's a miracle. If that happens within a few months, then you're really talking about miracles. So it was a long list of impossible things. But one after the other, God heard our prayers, and they happened. Just one miracle after the other. Then finally, five days before the deposit was going to be paid for this manor, the sponsor who was supposed to pay the money pulled out. And I was devastated. I don't often cry. Then I cried. It was like the whole thing just crumpled, and people had, you know, invested so much. So I thought the whole thing would fall. 
Then the Sunday morning, two days before the deposit was to be paid, a little boy, only five years old, came to me. He was the son of a single mom who was a handicapped lady, very poor. She had absolutely nothing. And he came to me with this plastic bag of coins. This was everything he owned. He had heard his mom talk about this dream. And he had heard about the problem. So he came to me and then he gave it to me. And he said, that is for the school. I, I can't explain to you what that moment meant. But in that moment, I knew, all right, God, you've got this. And within hours, all of the money was pledged, even more than we needed. And basically everyone in this small group of poor people, they were involved in it. I think I have some slides coming up so you can see what actually came out of it. So this is the manor. You can go visit if you want to. It's a beautiful place, 50 kilometers south of Copenhagen. This little boy, Simon, he became one of the first pupils at, at the school. And for, her mom, for his mom, it actually made a new life too. She became a part-time substitute teacher. So suddenly, life actually started to happen for her again. Today, this is the most popular school in that area. The waiting list is really long. And they are at full capacity. And since then, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 children have attended the school. Every morning they do devotions. Every week they have creative service for the whole school with a talk and with worship. And nearly all of the children come from unchurch homes. Trusting, obeying, and sowing. What is the fruit of that? In my experience, the fruit is joy. It's joyful generosity. This is how it connects. That's where it comes from. And just think about it. Why is God even interested in this? The one who owns everything, who can produce everything in any minute. Obviously because it's something which creates a fruit of joy in our own lives. So therefore, it's not a burden when we do this kind of thing. We do this annual gift day thing. It's definitely not meant to be a burden. It's a day where we say to everyone, feel free not to give anything. And if you give, make sure you give out of joy. It's joyful generosity. Joy in expecting the harvest that will come out of what we sow into the kingdom of God. That's what I wanted to share. That was my coffee table chat on joyful generosity. That is how I would talk about it in any place. This is actually how we have experienced it, Meta and I, in our own lives. So I hope it was useful. And now uh, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a song uh, whilst we are seated. I'll just pray a prayer for us. So, uh, and while we are sitting, you may want to fill out uh, the pledge card. So I'm myself, I'm paying online. I always do that, like most of you, I suppose. I'm going to fill it in anyways, just as a physical thing to say, this is, I'm part of this, I'm doing this. 
Uh, and I think it's a good thing to do uh, because what we will do also after, after we have uh, heard the song is we're going to collect the pledge cards and then we're going to pray for it. And I'll ask Johnny to, to pray for what has come in. And we believe that there is a blessing in just doing this, but we also believe that there is a spiritual principle in blessing what God gives us that it may multiply and become a blessing to many others. That's why we do this. So, allow me to pray. Father, I thank you that you are here with us this morning. Thank you that you truly are a generous Father. Father, I just pray for this moment. I pray for your presence to be strongly manifested in our hearts amongst us. Thank you that you know us so well. And I just bless this time. Bless our hearts as we consider whether this is for us this morning to be part of this or not. And as we reflect on uh, to what degree we want to be part of this offering. Father, we want to do it with joy. So we pray that this will be ignited by you. That this, this will be prompted by you. We thank you, we love you, and we honor you. Amen. <laughs>